You know, it's really amazing. I, I, I've been away for two weeks, and where I went was the first weekend was an incredible wedding for two friends, my first same-sex marriage. It was beautiful. And then the next weekend, I was able to go this past weekend to down to Baltimore for two conversations. One was built a conversation of the century, and the other was just like a conversation. It was called, both of them had the definite article, The Conversation, and they were each unique in their own way. And everybody, everybody was talking about the Pew study, the thing that Rabbi Jill Hammer alluded to last week in her sermon. This demographic survey of the first um, unbiased or independent study of, of American Jewry in years, which showed precipitous drops in affiliation and so on and so forth, things that we already knew. And 90, though 94% of the people said that they were excited to be Jews or they identify, they're happy to identify as Jews, many, many, many of the statistics point into the decline of the Jewish community. And so that was the, the big conversation over and over again, the Pew study. And this week's Torah reading, Vayera, is in so many ways the most important moment in the book of Genesis. Meaning it's a series of moments, but all of them point to one conversation. And that conversation is the exact same conversation 2,000 some odd years ago, which is what's going to happen next? Okay, Abraham is great, right? Abraham becomes Jewish. It's all, you know, he's not Jewish yet, but he's the founder and the father. The founding father, but the founding and the father. Two separate things, but important. And the question, of course, is when does the anxiety of can I pass it on emerge? And it emerges here, full-fledged in this week's reading. In four chapters, from 18 through 22, we have the, birth of, the herald of Isaac's birth, the choice of Isaac, and then his potential loss. And what's at stake is that Isaac is the first link in the chain, meaning he's the first one who looks back and feels that he's getting something, he's inheriting something, and the first one who has to look forward and bring it with him. He will outlive his father. And what does he do with his father's legacy? So, of course, the most important of those moments in this week's Parsha is the Akidah, the binding of Isaac. Now, I want to give a read tonight that is a different read that I've done before. So let me check off the boxes of the read that you probably want to hear or in various guises before I go to mine. So if you're looking for me to say the Akedah is horrible, check it off. It is horrible. If you're looking for me to check off that it is, in some context, might be seen as abusive, absolutely, check that one as well. If you want to look at it as a test of faith, we'll get to that in a moment. If you wish that it would never have been written in the Torah, I'm sorry. But in, here is something instructive. At one of the conversations was a very well-known author, Bruce Feiler, who's written a book called Walking the Bible and other books. And he told me about an article that he had written years ago. And he said that the number one determinant factor in children's adaptation, or, or one factor, he said, well, in this study it was the number one, but it's clearly only one factor, he said, in their adaptation or their uh, children's growth is the capacity to say that they've been given a family history. That fa having a family history is one of the most important determinants in the healthy life of a child. So somebody asked Bruce, and what if your child is adopted? 
And he said that the author of the study also had an adopted child. And it didn't matter. That even if the story isn't your own, if it's part of a story that you identify with, if you have that story, that story is vital. It's part of your own important construction, your inner place. And so we began with the poem from Amichai, which we'll come back to again, of that returning over and over again to that place, the place of the wound, the place of the trauma, the place of the shock that is the Akedah. And every time we return in some very deep way, even if we struggle with it, and maybe especially because we struggle with it, it becomes ours, and it's vital for our own mental, emotional, and spiritual health. So here's the read. So for, in order for us to do this read, all of you have to remember two things. The name of God in the Torah matters to later rabbis. The name of God as it is known as yud heh vav -Hey, means one thing. And the name of God as it appears, Elohim, is another. And I'm not talking here about biblical criticism. I'm talking about the Zohar, the book of Jewish mysticism. In our tradition, these two names of God denote a particular experience of the divine. So with that in mind, everybody, listen to what the Ishbitzer Rebbe, Mordechai Yosef Lehner, said about this week's reading, about that moment called the Akedah. And it was after these things. And Elohim tested Abraham. Everybody get that? It was after those things that Elohim tested Abraham. This particular Hasidic Rebbe says, what does Elohim mean? Why did the text tell us that Elohim tested Abraham? Because Elohim always, he says, in our tradition means seeing God unclearly through a dim mirror. Did you get that? That Elohim is in the language of the Zohar, Ispaklaria delo mihira delo nehara. It is a dim mirror. That Abraham's perception of what God wanted from him was unclear. Now, this isn't a new teaching. It's grounded in that word Elohim, and it is interesting. But the Midrash also plays it out. The rabbinic commentary says a conversation between Abraham and God went like this. Yesterday you told me, Ki Yesterday you promised that my future would be with Isaac, and today you tell me, bring him up the mountain. Which one is it? You can't have them both. Abraham didn't know clearly. He was, he was misupak, he was uncertain. He didn't know exactly what God wanted from him, says the Ishbitzer. And the test for Abraham was, the test for Abraham was, could he live in a world where God contradicts God's self? Could he live in a world where God is against God? Could he live in a world where despair could easily replace hope in his children? And could he nonetheless live a life of faith? Could Abraham keep his eye as distant as it was on that place called that promise that God had made to him, even with contradictory evidence? Could he maintain that deep reservoir of faith? In that vein, listen to this Torah from another Hasidic Rebbe, Rav Avram Apolotsk. 
when Abraham came to that place, he wasn't sure which mountain where God was going to tell him to go. Vayaret hamakom meirachok. He saw the place. He saw vayar et hamakom. He saw the makom. Makom is place. Meirachok from a distance. But makom also, everybody, and rabbis here, I see Zach, I see other rabbis. What does makom mean in rabbinic? Who is it alluding to, Zach? God. Makom is God. So listen to the way he teaches it. The wisdom he says this. Vayar et hamakom meirachok means, and Abraham saw God from... He saw makom mirachok. He saw God from a distance. Abraham was completely in the dark. He had a vision for himself. By the age of 30, he would have four kids, and all of them would be called Abraham and Menachem Mendel. And <laughs> he had a vision that by the age of 35, he would have his career worked out. He had all of his lists. And Abraham finds himself on the precipice of despair. I don't see God clearly. I don't understand. I had a vision of what God would be, and now this is a complete contradiction. You were the God that was willing to engage me in an argument about justice. And now this. He kept going. He said, I can see God, but it's from a distance. From a distance. I have faith. I want to share another radical teaching, maybe more radical than this. Leon Cass has a book also on the book of Genesis, and he says differently than the Ishbitzer. He says the test wasn't to see if Abraham would have faith. The test is to see if Abraham can put God before everything else. Now, before you say Taliban, read the effective functioning of our government. Read some higher principle that you're willing to lay down your life for. Read anything that transcends your independent prejudices, your independent predilections, your own personal nigiot, your own personal desires. Read that there too. Leon Cass says, Abraham is bringing Isaac up the mountain to say, you dreamed of a future people. You dreamed of something that I promised for you. I'm going to take that away, but are you, still, are you still my servant? Do you still see the necessity of, of your spiritual life, of your connection with God? And both of these Torahs work together. Both of these teachings about Isaac's trial are me and you. Each one of them is asking us if we can maintain some principle that we would be willing to sacrifice for or that we continue to believe in even after we've suffered, even after we've been disappointed. How hard is it going to be this week to trust government ever again? We don't trust them. But we have to have faith in the principles that they are standing for and not allow it to erode our fundamental assertion of the importance of civic responsibility. How many people this week call me I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm this, I'm that. I have all of these things in my life. God, what are you doing? Are you trying to beat hope out of me? Is that what you're trying to do?
A young woman emailed me a couple of weeks ago and said, you know, last year was the Hurricane Sandy. It's a year since that day. And she remembered that at Romamu, as beautiful as our services are, as vibrant as our community is, as dynamic as our classes continue to be, she said she remembered that specifically she, she sent out an email at Romamu and she asked the community to come and help volunteer for Hurricane Sandy. And she said nobody came to the first gathering. And she's still holding it. I said, can you, can you regain hope in this community? Is there a way for you to go forward? Because communities will disappoint you. But community is beautiful. Communities will make mistakes. But communities will rise to the occasion. People will make mistakes. Situations will disappoint us. But can you see hamakom mirachok? Even when you see God from a distance, you see the principle from a distance. Can you still have faith? Can you reignite that passion? Can you let go of all of those things and say, I'm still here. He named me. Here I am. I'm showing up. And I promised her that if I came again to the mountain, that I would be the first one at the meeting. So I want to talk about a mountain that we're going to climb together for the next two weeks. On November 1st, our legislature is going to slash food stamps, what is known now as SNAP. In our country, if you are on a SNAP program, you get about $4.50 per person. After the cuts, it'll be about $3.70 per person. Per person in a family. If you have four children in your family, you'll have $11 or so to provide them with food every day of a week. And so Romamu has joined other congregations on the Upper West Side for something that I'm calling the Snap Challenge. Can you all do that? Let's all snap. We'll snap. So I guess what I'm going to do, and I want to invite you to do it with me. For one week, one work week, October 21st to the 25th, we will eat $5 of food a day for one work week. We'll spend those $5 per day on all of our food and drink. And that will align us with the average that is within our community here in New York. It's a little bit higher in New York than in the rest of the country. About 50 cents more a day. And that that is intended to be supplemental. But we're not going to be supplementing. That is exactly what we're going to be eating. And then on November 10th, we're going to gather with all of the participants of this challenge to see what it's like to live in someone else's shoes, to walk for a week in their shoes. And this I envision as the beginning of a year-long project called In Their Shoes, where we are going to be creating programs which will place us into the shoes of others so that we can also reignite our own hope because we can't do otherwise. Because the makom mirachok is absolutely necessary. We have to believe. We have to. And we have to act. So back to Yehuda Amichai, who said so beautifully this poem. 
Every year, our father Abraham would take his sons to Mount Moriah, the way that I take my children to the Negev Hills where I once had war. Abraham hiked around with his sons. This is where I left the servants behind. That's where I tied the donkey to a tree at the foot of the mountain. And here, right here, Isaac, my son, you asked me, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And then up a little further, you asked me for the second time. We come around and around to these sacred stories. And I would like to ask all of you, I think that if the Pew survey were one day to ask a different question, we would get a different answer. In Nebraska, in San Diego, in New York, if we ask people, I don't want to know if you identify Jewish, but if Judaism was a gift that enriched your life and that you could do easily to some extent, and that whenever you reached into its well, you were to come out with something powerful and meaningful and valuable for your life, would you want to do more of it? That's the question that remains to be answered. And until that time, hold Abraham and Isaac with you. Walk with them together. And maybe, 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 I'll see you snapping in a week from now.